Alright, go, go ahead and take your Bibles. Go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be going through the whole chapter So tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning a study through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We might jump right into 2 Corinthians after this, but for sure we're going to go all the way through 1 Corinthians. And on Sunday nights I reserve the right to occasionally maybe do a different subject. But uh, the plan is to go through this on Sunday nights just because uh, the... These chapters, I think there's this very good, relevant stuff for churches, and I've been wanting to preach on a lot of subjects from this book, and so I decided to preach through the whole thing. But before we start reading, just a couple things I want to mention. As we begin preaching through this book, I do want to do a couple things. One, of course, we want to make application for our church. We want to learn for, from the good and the bad that we see in the, uh, from the church in Corinth. But I also want to highlight some specific things that I think we can piece together from the scriptures so we can know, understand exactly what Paul was trying to deal with at the church in Corinth. Okay, We understand that this is to the church in Corinth. This is not to Liberty Baptist Church. But at the same time, we are not wrong to make application in our church from these things that we see. And I think the more... The more we know about what Paul was dealing with, I think the better we will know how to make application in our church and in our own personal lives. So, without reading through all of Acts 18 and 19, uh, I do want to look at a couple things that I think will help us. So, go ahead and turn over to Acts 18. We're going to start there, and this will help give us uh, a little idea of what's going on. Um, in Corinth and in, in Paul's life that I think will shed some light on some of the things that we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think it, it can become very obvious why Paul is bringing up certain things. So I don't want to just stand up here tonight, just stay in 1 Corinthians and then sound like I'm giving opinion on some things. I think these, while some of it could be opinion, it's based on some facts that we see in the Scripture. So look what it says in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, being that because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So this is where we are seeing the beginning of this church in Corinth. You've got Paul. He's in Corinth. He stays with Aquila and Priscilla. They're tent makers like he is. He's going on the Sabbath day. Not because church is supposed to be on the Sabbath, but that's when the Jews meet in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he goes and he is preaching Jesus Christ to them. And when they oppose themselves. Now, I want you to watch the, the response that Paul gets from the Jews when preaching to him. Pay very close attention to this. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. 
So notice Paul did not have much success with the Jews. And after Paul's like, you know what? I'm done with you Jews. He goes and then he starts being successful amongst the Gentiles. And so he's there for uh, 18 months, for a year and a half. Now, jump down to verse 24. Jump In verse 24, it says, "...in a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, from whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So Apollos, he's a saved man, but he had only heard the preaching of John. So he has not been introduced to Jesus yet. But without a doubt, he was still saved. Okay, He got saved from the preaching of John. And so he, his message that he's preaching, while it was accurate, it's a little outdated. And so when Aquila and Priscilla, when they hear Apollo speaking, they're like, hey, this guy's a believer, but nobody's told him the Messiah came. John pointed him out. And so they went and they didn't teach him a new gospel, but they expounded him the way of God more perfectly, more completely. They gave him more information that he before was not, he had not received. And so it says, and when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So notice Paul who loved the Jews. Paul was not very successful in his preaching to the Jews. But notice Apollos, he was successful in his preaching with the Jews. Did you know that God uses different people to reach different kinds of people? Did you know there's some preachers that are better at reaching the rich, some that are better at reaching the poor, some that are better at reaching the blacks, some that are better at reaching the whites? You know what? Thank God for all of them. Thank God for all of them. But again, we don't all have the same abilities and the same talents. And so Apollos, he is. He is a very eloquent speaker and he's very effective in reaching the Jews were Paul. Look, I mean, listen, you don't get any greater than Paul, but Paul, you know, he struggled when it came, when it came to reaching his own people. Now, notice in chapter 19, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So by the, by the time Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, remember, he had spent at least a year and a half they're in Corinth. So he knows these people. He's gotten a lot of these people saved. He's had some time to teach them some things. But Apollos now has come on the scene. Apollos is now with this church in Corinth after Paul has left. And so Paul, if we read all of Acts 18 and 19, you know, Paul, he's had some trouble with the law. He's done some traveling. He's, and when I say the law, meaning like law enforcement, not the law of God. But he starts writing back to this church because He's heard of some things. He, he, he has heard some things that he's not happy with. And so he is writing, trying to get this church on track. So remember all this stuff that we said about Acts, because I think it's going to be relevant to some things that we're going to see here as we go through chapter one. So let's go ahead and go to first Corinthians now and start reading in chapter one. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. So basically everything we saw here was just kind of introductory and greeting. These are just kind of some pleasantries and we're not going to spend any time going deep into these because these are not really the main... Paul's not trying to define all these things he mentioned for us. He's just... These are introductory statements. These are our greetings. If I said, hello, Liberty Baptist Church, my brothers and sisters in Christ because of the faith, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not explaining the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are just introductory things. So we're not going to do a deep dive on those. Let's stay focused on the message that he's trying to get across to him. So in verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So he is not talking to an individual. He's talking to a church as a whole, and he is expressing the importance that you all need to be of the same mind. You need to be perfectly joined together. You are one church. You need to learn how to act as a unit. Churches should not have factions. Churches are not supposed to have divisions. Churches are supposed to be united. And when I say churches, that's you know, all churches are united with each other. Not necessarily with every church that's out there. But listen, we, we're never going to find unity like we probably should amongst all churches everywhere, but we should be able to find it in here. In this body, in this assembly, we ought to be able to find unity. And so the first thing Paul deals with is, the first thing he brings up is the importance of unity. And division in church, it's never a good thing. Everyone's got to learn how to work as a unit. And we're going to see many ways that division can manifest itself as we go through this letter. And it's very possible. Okay, And here's what I want you to understand too. Some people think being, you know, um, being united as a church means that all, you know, we're all just supposed to just shut down our wills and not have opinions and all that kind of stuff. That is not the case at all. Did you know, it is very possible to be opinionated, to have strong ideas and strong beliefs and to be an alpha male while at the same time still being cooperative, cooperative as an individual and following the program of a church. It is very possible to do that. You see, what many people are looking at, and these are not alpha males, okay? These are typically beta males who are alpha male wannabes, and they think being an alpha male means I always get my way. You know, if they think being an alpha male means being stubborn, whatsoever I saith, goeth. Amen. You know, just no. That's not how that, that, that's not what it is. We see no evidence of that in the Bible. I mean, look at just what we looked at this morning. Uh, we, we referred to the, those passages about how we're not to seek to please ourselves. That's what a lot of people think it means being an alpha male. That's what a lot of men think it means being the head of the household. It means I always get my way. 
No, it means you take care of other people. You take care of your, of your wife first. You take care of your children first. You come last. That's what it means to be a real leader. It's not just about getting your way all the time and pounding your chest. And too many people today, they're looking for a church where the pastor always agrees with them. But most, and, and most, instead of just looking, what they should be looking for is a church where they can serve without being tempted to violate their conscience. That's what they should be looking for. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I think you should be more like a dictator. And I said, you would love that as long as all of my ideas and thoughts and opinions align with yours. As soon as my ideas, thoughts, and opinions don't align with yours, you're not going to like that. You're not going to want me to be a Hitler type. And, and that, that's the reality. But the truth is, you know, we should be, as long as you are not being told to do something that would violate your conscience. Now, if you're the kind of person where you do, you have to have your way up to like where we go soul winning on a Sunday afternoon, you know, then, you know, you just have, you know, you, you've got authority issues. That's, that's all there is to it. But no, following someone else's leadership, going along with someone else's program, it shouldn't violate your conscience. If you are bothered by and have to question every decision that someone makes, it could be that you just have a super inflated sense of importance of your own opinion. It, we should be able to get a, go along with someone else's program. Following the leadership of a pastor does not mean that he knows better than you or is more right than you. It just means this, he's the one that's in charge of this thing. And so as long as someone remains within their realm of authority, we should be supportive. We should be cooperative. And now if me as a pastor, if I come along and I start stepping into your areas of authority, I'd have a problem with that. I don't have a right to do that. But we've got to learn to recognize where our authority is and where it isn't. And many people, they struggle figuring that out. So verse 11 says, For it hath been declared unto, been declared unto me, of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And the Bible is very clear. Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention, but the well advises wisdom. Okay? So the reality is, if there is division, if there are contentions in the church, it's a pride issue somewhere. It could be on both sides, but it's going to be at least on one side. We've got pride going on if there is contention. And again, I, I mean, I've only ever had this one time where, you know, somebody, they had to keep bringing up the alpha male thing. You know, like they felt like alpha male means, you know, I always have to have, you know, let my opinion be known. It's like, listen, that, that is not what that means. Okay. All of us are, we should be capable of going along with another program and letting someone be in charge of something. It's not hard. It, it's, it, it takes humility. Did you know you could be an alpha male and still be humble? You know it's possible to do that? Okay, and again, and if you can't be an alpha male and humble, then you shouldn't be an alpha male. Okay, because God has called us to humility. God wants us being humble. God wants us being cooperative and all these things. And so the reality is too, you know, when somebody has to bring it up like it's an alpha male thing, I think we're just, you're needing your pride fed. I think you need your ego fed. And that's why you are being contentious if you have to bring these kind of things up. So verse 12, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Now, I'm going to be getting pretty specific about what I believe 
was going on here in this church in Corinth. And again, I think I have some evidence for it. I could be, I could be stepping into opinion area, but bear with me because I think you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And I think too, we can have a pretty good idea because the reality is people don't really change, do they? You know, we all kind of still have the same issues. And so, um, that phrase, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I of Cephas, and I of Christ. I think I can guess what that meant and why they were saying they were of these different people. I, I, could be, I, I might be assuming some things, but, but hear out what I'm going to say. And now, why do people do this? Because this type of thing, of invoking the name of an individual, this is nothing more than a power play to exert your own personal will on others rather than having the humility to submit and follow. That is why we name drop. You want to know why preachers name drop? Okay, Whenever people are preaching something controversial, okay, often, especially when they know they're not doing a good job presenting their case from the Scriptures, you know what they do? They start name dropping. Oh, you all don't believe what I'm saying? Well, did you know Pastor so-and-so teaches the same thing? Okay, well, guess what? I thought it's let God be true and every man a liar. Why do you feel the need to drop their name? You know why? Because sometimes, and listen, I've done this a million times. This might happen on Wednesday when I'm, I'm supposed to be preaching the greatest soul winning message that's ever been preached. There's a good chance I'm going to go and it's just going to fall flat. That happens sometimes when you preach a sermon. And preachers, we're made out of flesh like everybody else. And sometimes when we're just doing a really bad job communicating, we resort to, you know, carnal means. And so I'm preaching something controversial and it's like, okay, that is, this is not coming across. I can tell by everyone's faces they're not getting it. Fine. You know who else preaches this? You know, and then I got to start name dropping. That's what the Calvinists do because they know they are failing in getting across from the scriptures their perverted doctrine. So what do they start doing? Name dropping dead guys that can't defend themselves. That's, exa- that's what they always do. It, it's a power play. Fine, you're not going to go along with me, but I stand with Charles H. Spurgeon. You know, I stand with Jonathan Edwards. I stand, you know, and they'll start name dropping the dead guys. It's a power play. It's carnal. Paul called this kind of thing out. And we've all done it. We all do it. Even with, and within churches, when factions start being formed, people will typically align themselves with somebody. They will align themselves with a person. And even when it comes to doctrine, sometimes too, we can align, we align ourselves even with people that are outside the church. You know, I, you know, we start, if we start having a John MacArthur faction in the church where everybody's sharing his stuff, we'll throw those people out real fast. All right. But, you know, that's bad when that kind of thing happens. But usually what happens is there's going to be some nitwit in the church that, you know, gets sucked into that stuff. And they know they're an idiot. Everybody else knows they're an idiot. So what do they got to do? They got to try to align themselves with somebody respected. And so they start talking about John MacArthur all the time. And then they do. They create a division within the church. And this is, this is not a good thing. And so, but all of us do. We don't ever want to feel alone. We all want to feel like we're a part of a team, like we have some kind of community whenever we're challenged. And it's just human nature to want to form alliances because there's safety in them. I've seen this many times. I've called it out with some people where preachers, whenever they are, when they're preaching a defensive or a damage control message, it's just name drop, name drop, name drop, name drop. Why? Because I'm being defensive right now and I want to make sure everybody knows that I stand with this person, I stand with that person because I can't stand on my own two feet. 
That's just it. that that's it's survival instinct. Okay, it's not even necessarily like a this horribly sinful thing. It's just it's survival instinct. We all we all nat- we all naturally do it. It's very easy to do, and it's but it's a, it is a sign of insecurity when we do this, and it is carnal, and we ought to avoid it. And so, since we know that these divisions that they had were not based on spiritual things and carnal things, let's think about the political motivation for all these divisions. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to tell you what I think was going on in this church. And I think it's somewhat based on some facts that we can see in the Bible. But again, I'm crossing over it into opinion, but hear me out on this. So, for example, we've got a faction in the church saying, I am of Paul. So think about it. Paul is the one who started the church. So you did. You probably had a group of people in the church. Well, we're the, we're the OGs. We were the ones here at the beginning. We were the ones, you know, so there's some kind of fight going on. Well, we know what? We align with Paul on these things. Paul's the one that started this church. Paul's the one that got a bunch of us saved. We stand with Paul. And so, but now, here's the thing. And so Paul is obviously a very influential figure. But then, now we've got, a, we've got a team too saying, I am of Apollos. Okay, now think about it. Apollos, he's the better speaker. Apollos is the one who's able to get the Jews, who Paul struggles getting the Jews. But he, Paul, Apollos, he is, he's probably more of the smart guy. Okay? Paul, and we're going to see this later on too, but Paul, he was somebody who specifically mentions how I didn't come to you with words uh, of man's wisdom. I spoke simply, but Apollos is this eloquent speaker. So Paul, he preaches like a camp meeting preacher, amen? You know, he's using improper English. He's got a southern draw, sounds like a dumb hillbilly. But then you got, you know, Bob Jones Apollos there talking all dignified and proper and using big fancy theological terms. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're both preaching the same gospel. And you, all, you understand I'm being figurative right now, right? Paul didn't have a southern accent. Do I have to explain that? Okay. But I'm being figurative here. But the reality is they're preaching the same gospel. They're a part of the same body. And you know what? Thank God for both of these men. Thank God for Paul, who is reaching the regular folks. And thank God for Apollos, who is reaching the educated folks. We, we, need, we need both of them. What we don't need is a division in the church. That's not what we've called for. So, we also have... I am of Cephas or Peter. Okay, now think about this too, because Peter, and I don't know if Peter was ever involved in this church, but why are some saying I'm I'm of Cephas? Well, maybe it's because too they were just contrary to everybody, and so it's like if you're going to outdo Apollos, I know Apollos is kind of the smart guy, but you got Paul, he's like the original guy. So let's go to Peter. He was one of the twelve. He was one of them that walked with Jesus. I line with Peter. That, that's who I stand with. You know, Peter was the first one to reach a Gentile. He was the one that God originally real, you know, uh, revealed that, the going, that uh, he was going to save the Gentiles and include the Gentiles too. So you can kind of see some of the motivation for some of these people to try to be like, I stand with Peter. So we can, we can kind of understand. But then too, you have team. This, these are the real spiritual people in the church. I'm not of any man. I am of Christ. Uh, so they, so that, that's the fourth group we have in the church. But here's the problem. You have team I am of Christ in the church, but you know what? It says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Does Jesus want division? Oh, so you're supposedly on team Jesus, but you're just going to use that to weaponize it against everybody else. 
You say I'm of Christ, but yet is Christ divided? Or was Paul crucified for you? Why are you saying I'm of Paul? Paul didn't die for your sins. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So while, while saying I am of Christ sounds good, the problem is Christ isn't divided. So obviously you're not of Christ. So you're only saying it because it sounds good. Verse 14, Paul goes on to say, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. So those claiming to be on team Paul, they were foolish because we're not baptized into Paul or into any man. We are baptized into Christ. And so, if we're not baptized into a man, why are we saying we stand with a man? If we're saying we're that we're with Christ, then why are we divided? Something's wrong because Christ isn't divided. So, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. I'm telling you, I think he said this for a reason. I think he's saying this too because Apollos had wisdom of words. And I don't think he's like, I don't think he's taking shots at Apollos right here. I really don't believe Paul's like trying to shoot at Apollos here and knock him down a peg or two. No, I think he's I think he's saying this because you had Team Apollos in the church, and that's probably one of the things they were doing. They were acting like they were the smarter, educated ones, and but the reality is that's not what it's about. And he said, "I didn't come with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect." If I'm coming here and I'm impressing you with my eloquence, I'm distracting. From the cross. Now, was Apollos distracting from the cross by using wisdom of words and being eloquent in speech? No, listen, if you're eloquent, if you're educated, use it. But if that's how you talk, talk that way. But don't do that just to look smart. You know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be going out and just buying dictionaries and thesauruses and things just so I can learn big fancy words so I can wow everybody. I mean, if that's how I talk, I, can, I guess I can talk that way, but I shouldn't speak that way just to impress. That's, that's a distraction. But if Apollos was just a genuinely smart guy and just genuinely is using these big fancy words and using an eloquent, squeeze, eloquent speech and had a dynamic voice with the perfect vibrato and things, you know what? Great. Use it if you're gifted in that area. But let's not make it all about those things. And so the, when he said to... For Christ sent me not to baptize. This is another verse that some will, some people take and they run with. You do have your hyper dispensationalists out there who believe that this is evidence we don't need to baptize people, and that baptism was just mainly for the Jews during a transition between dispensations. And I don't even feel like I should have to address that, but that is foolish for many reasons. Because one, we do see Jews and Gentiles being baptized in the Bible. We see people who were a part of the old covenant baptized, you know, who went into the new covenant. But we also see people who are never under the old covenant get baptized as well. So everybody who gets saved should get baptized. But some use this too to prove baptism isn't necessary for salvation, which makes a lot of sense because without a doubt, if Paul, Paul's primary objective is getting people saved, wouldn't he want to make sure they got dunked too? But again, when it comes to baptism, I believe it's the job of the church to get that done. And so, you know, as, like as a pastor, as an overseer of the church, I should always make sure 
that you know baptisms are taking place and that they're happening. I should watch for that kind of thing. But if somebody is just like a soul winner in the church and that's kind of their their focus, it's okay for you to focus like on your area if you have some position in a certain area, as long as the church is getting it done. And you know the reality is too. While I typically do the baptisms in the church, I don't have to. the The church is what baptizes. I believe the church can appoint someone else in the church to baptize somebody. Now, I don't believe anyone should go around baptizing on their own authority. I think, I think all baptisms should be done under the authority of a local church. So it's, it's my personal opinion that we could put, we could, uh, our church could authorize any of the men in our church to baptize someone. But that does not give you, but I don't believe just any Christian can go around baptizing people. Okay, now there's a lot of internet people that will take offense to that. But they're internet people, and they uh, they're not in a church because they've got they have all the problems we're seeing in First Corinthians one because they can't unite with anybody. And guess what, you internet people who can't unite with anybody, you can't baptize anybody either. Legitimately, you can go get people wet, but you have no authority to do that kind of thing. And so, uh, again, that so whenever it, I guarantee you, the church in Corinth was baptizing people. They for sure were baptizing people. It just wasn't Paul himself doing it. And again, I've heard many people do this. And listen, if you've ever said this to me, I'm not being critical of you. I don't even think this is bad. But again, it can be a sign of carnality or even just being a babe in Christ. And look, did you know that there's nothing wrong with being a babe in Christ if you're a babe in Christ? But, you know, often you'll have people want to tell you about who baptized them. Okay, listen, if you are more interested in who baptized you than what you were baptized into... You're a babe in Christ. Okay? That's okay when you first get saved. That's okay. But I hope you grow out of that at some point. I, I hope one of these days you learn enough about the scriptures that you're going to be so amazed with what you were baptized into that it's not even a matter who baptized you. I think that's, I think that's very important. So again, don't criticize. If somebody comes to this church, it's like, I was bad. I mean, you know, there was a guy years ago at camp. Uh, we, I got stuck with him two years in a row, and he was always talking about how he was baptized by, uh, I, forgot who, I forgot who it was. It was one of the big names. He got baptized by one of the big names. I don't know if it was Carl Hatch, uh, but I might be thinking of him because we were talking about him earlier. But he, he got baptized by one of the big names, and he loved to tell everybody about it. And this guy had been saved for like 100 years, too, and he was pretty old. And not, but, but I was just like, you know, you ought to be past this at this point in your life. You know, you know, you should just be thankful you were baptized into Christ. So all this stuff Paul's dealing with, this is a very young church. This church is probably only around two years old. So, of course, it's got a lot of issues, you know, but thankfully, Paul's taking care of them. He's dealing with them. But I think we can kind of understand why we're seeing a lot of these problems. But the main point that Paul is trying to make here is that he wasn't about getting together a people in his own name. And there is no reason to doubt that the church in Corinth was taking care of baptism. I guarantee you they were, because these people had been baptized, most, but just not by Paul, with a few exceptions. So in verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, we are all very familiar with this passage right here, but let's think about the context. Paul is saying this in the context of the fact there were divisions in the church. You have some saying, I am of Paul. Some saying, I am of Apollos. You have Apollos who is a chief speaker, an eloquent man, who is noted in Acts for just his understanding and his knowledge in the Scriptures. So without a doubt, Paul, when he's saying all this stuff, you had a faction in the church who thought they were smarter than everybody else. There's no doubt about it. And Paul is just trying to express to these people, you're not saved by your wisdom. You didn't get saved because of your smarts. God doesn't save people with wisdom. Anybody can be saved. Nobody should ever get impressed with the fact that they are saved. We should all be thankful for the fact that we are saved. We should all be thankful and we should all be glorifying Christ that He saved us. It ought to overwhelm us and amaze us that He saved us without us doing any works, that He keeps us saved in spite of our works. And this is one of the reasons, too, that it just boggles my mind to listen to Baptist preachers always casting doubt on people's salvation for not repenting of enough sins. And it's just like... You know, wisdom tells you that it, you know, you would have to do all these things and have all this repentance and reformation and all these changes. But you know what? The simplicity and the foolishness of the preaching says that God's going to save those who believe. It's that simple. Not impressive, but that is what saves people. And so, what was foolish about that is said, again, about making something about wisdom is no one is saved by their wisdom. And I do, I believe all this stuff that Paul said is in reference to those seeking wisdom. And it was probably those that were from the Apollos crowd just crowing about their wisdom. Man, we're, we're smart. We really know something. But you know what Paul said? Because Paul, Paul's been talking about how Christ isn't divided. There's not supposed to be divisions. And he said, for the Jews, okay, the Jews require a sign. The Jews who Apollos was good at getting saved, but Paul wasn't. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews of stumbling block and under Greeks foolishness. So Paul's letting them know, God does not give in to the demands of a culture. God does not have this, I don't know if it was Rick Warren or Bill Hybels that went and did the surveys asking people what they were looking for in a church and what they wanted in a church and he decided he was going to start a church that provided all those things. Listen, who cares what the world wants? Who cares what the world responds to? You know, statistics say that if we, you know, if churches did more of this, that people would be more likely to go. Who cares? What matters is what does God say about things? And when it comes to the gospel, we preach Christ crucified. That is the only thing that will get people saved. If people don't believe the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they will not be saved. No matter how much we wow them with our wisdom, I could convince them and I could even be right. I can become the smartest and the wisest and the most eloquent speaker in the world. I can go and I can train myself and I can get degrees and all these accolades and I can go out there and I can wow my feet, wow people with my knowledge and ability. But if they do not believe on Christ, they're not going to go to heaven. It's not going to work. I can, I can do signs. I can learn how to do miracles. Maybe, maybe I learn how to do miracles. But did you know there's a lot of people that saw Jesus' miracles and they didn't get saved? He does not save us. He does not through, uh, or he doesn't give people their demands so they will agree to come to Christ and be saved. No. He says, this is how it is. 
here's the gospel. Do you believe it or do you not believe it? And if people won't believe it, they're not going to get saved. And so it says, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So again, think about it. Paul was good at getting Gentiles saved, but wasn't that great at getting Jews saved. Apollos is really good at getting Jews saved. And you know what? We should just be thankful that some of both are getting saved. It's always a good thing when people are getting saved, but it is. It's carnal for us to start creating factions and divisions in the church. We don't ever want that to happen. I hope our church reaches poor. I hope our church reaches rich. But you know what? I hope if we get somebody in our church who's really good at reaching rich people and somebody who's really good at reaching poor people, that we don't have factions. The rich and the poor ought to be united in a church. Everyone should be united in a church. It'd be great if we had some people in our church that were really good at reaching black people and some that were really good at reaching Mexican people. But you know what? I hope we don't get a black faction in our church and a Mexican faction in our church and a white faction. We should be united when it comes to all these things. And if we're not united, it's because we're carnal. So why is there all this division in America because of race and politics and all these things? Because we're carnal. That's why this this is carnality. And while this kind of thing will always, always be around, it should not be in a church. And when it is in a church, the church needs to get right. The church needs to repent. The church needs to fix it. And so Paul, he's trying to nip this because this church isn't going to make it. This church isn't going to keep going. This church is not going to survive if they don't deal with these things. They've got to get rid of these divisions. So, uh, verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, but you know, there are some wise people who get saved. Thank God. Not many mighty, but there are some. Not many noble are called, but there are some. Don't ever just write off a whole group of people. Don't write off the rich. You know, it's, it's hard. But they can get it. They can do it. With God, it's possible. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know who God is typically going to use? God is more likely to use the poor than He is the rich. Because if God is only using the rich people, then people are going to think the way to get something accomplished is to have money. Money's going to get the glory. You know, and a lot of people too, they're looking at, they're always wanting to look to famous people to change everything. It's like, man, look at, look at all that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter and for free speech and for America. Man, if we could just get that guy saved, what he would do for the gospel. Actually, I, you know, I, I mean, I hope he gets saved. That, that would be great. I would love to see him promote the gospel. But at the end of the day, I, I think God is more likely to use people like us. Yeah, but think about what he could do with his billions. So it's about money. Really, that, that's how God, that's what God needs to operate money. I thought the Holy Spirit is what mattered. Is the Holy Spirit bound by lack of finances? We, listen, in our flesh, we for sure are bound by lack of finances. We are limited when it comes to finances, but there should be no limit with the Holy Spirit. And what matters more, flesh, money, or the Holy Spirit when it comes to salvation? So the reality is, 
I don't know. I just, I'm not going to expect and I'm not going to wait for Elon Musk to get saved to, get, to change the world. I, I, th- I think we should be looking here. I think we should be looking in churches amongst the foolish things. Amongst those poor people. That's where we're more likely to see. Because again, that no flesh should glory in His presence. We would, if it was the smartest people, if it was the geniuses, if it was the high IQ people, we would all think they're the ones. And those people are rare. The billion, how many billionaires are there in the world? How many geniuses are there in the world? But you know what? There's a lot of people like us. There's a lot of regular people. And that's what God has chosen to use. And God knows better. I would pick the billionaires. I would pick the geniuses. I would pick, I would pick the rich and famous and all those things. But that's man's wisdom speaking. That is not how God works. Guess what? If, if we're gonna, if, if we're gonna turn this thing around, God's gonna use people like us. And at the end of the day, we have the Holy Spirit at our disposal, but it takes faith. It takes some obedience. And we're, we're, but most of us have the attitude, if we just had the money, if we just had the whatever, no, that's not how God works. That's man's wisdom. And so we should never, ever get lifted up with any kind of pride because of a group of people. There's nothing special about them. There's only something special about the one who saved us. There is no special. There's only Jesus is what's special. And it is. We're really good at creating our groups and figuring out why we're the greatest, constructing qualifications and things that, you know, only will exclusively fit us so we can make ourselves out to be the greatest. There's nothing. The only thing great about us is Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's why there is no reason for us to not be unified other than we're being carnal. Verse 30, But of Him are ye in Christ, who God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So now, And glory, too, another word we could use for that today is brag. That's what it means to glory in something. And not only should we not glory in ourselves, but we should not glory in the crowd that we run with too. I'm thankful today to be an independent, fundamental, premillennial, temperamental, confrontational, chicken-eating, you know, slobber-slinging, biscuit-eating Baptist. Amen? You know what? I think we represent the best. Now listen, I'm all for saying some of that stuff for fun. Okay? You all get it when... If, if, if a preacher gets up, like, I'm thankful. Don't, let's not rebuke him. Most of the time, we're blowing smoke. We're riling up our base. We're being funny. Now, if we say those things and we mean it, <laughs> then we're then we're probably we're probably out of line a little bit. But we shouldn't glory in the crowd we run with. You know, frankly, the IFB is embarrassing most of the time. You know, and there, it, but listen, there's some great in there too. While there's a lot that I am thankful for. And a lot I am impressed with. There's a lot I'm embarrassed by too. At the end of the day, it's like every time we start getting lifted up with some kind of pride, God takes out one of our idols again. What's He doing? He's reminding us, man, it's not about the people. Again, and you know what? I don't think God likes when we get up and we do all the name dropping. I don't. Again, I am all for giving honor to whom honor is due. But I, I'm telling you, I it's my opinion it's my belief that the motivation for a lot of the name dropping, it's not about giving honor to whom honor it's due. It's about trying to show who we stand with. It, it is a way of just kind of lifting ourselves up with pride. And the reality is that's 
I think that goes completely against what Paul was teaching here. And so we need we need to watch out for that kind of thing. I think it's okay. You know, if I get up and I talk about people in my life who had an impact on me, and if I want to give honor to those people, that's fine. But at the end of the day, too, if I'm up here and I, I start name dropping some of the people in my personal life, you know, the reality is, you know, that shouldn't all of a sudden make you go search these people out and all that kind of, you know, they're, they're not in your life. You don't know who these people are. Some of them I could start name dropping are dead and in heaven right now. At the end of the day, it's about Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, if I were to start name dropping certain people, uh, you know, you know, I, you know, like I said, I, I don't think it's inappropriate for me to name drop my dad. You know, he, he's my dad. And obviously, you know, the most influential person that was in, in my life. But at the end of the day, what had a lasting impact from him was, you know, how he introduced Christ to me. It was what he taught me about Christ. Those are the things that made the real difference. It's not, it wasn't him, the man that made the difference, but it was about who he promoted in his life. And that was Jesus Christ. And the same thing goes for any other mannequin. There are certain figures in my life. There are certain people in my life that pushed me towards Christ, that caused me to think more of Christ and and, and his word and that inspired me in those areas. So again, you know, the glory goes to Jesus Christ. And thank God for those people. Absolutely thank God for those people. But when I start forming factions and alliances and movements associated with those men, that's, that's out of line. That's wrong. And, and, and especially when I start getting you guys caught up in it, you know, we, we got to watch out for that kind of thing. That is a very carnal thing. And so I, um, identifying yourself with men and especially being divisive about it, This is the very definition of carnality and being a babe in Christ. Turn over to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Turn over just uh, a couple pages in chapter 3. And look what it says in verse 3. It says, For ye are yet carnal. For wherein, or whereas, there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. Did you know that everybody who got saved got saved because somebody pushed them towards Christ? So what's the common denominator that we should all have? Jesus. Jesus ultimately is what it's all about. In spite of who it was, we all might have had different people who pushed us towards Christ So we should unite around the one that we were all pushed towards, Jesus Christ, and we should not divide over the ones who pushed us towards Christ. That's carnal. And he said, but I I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So when you are, when we start being divisive based on men, we are, we are the very definition of carnal, babe in Christ Christians. It's one thing when somebody first gets saved. Do not rebuke the next person who comes in here. You know, I got saved from listening to so-and-so on the internet, whatever. Don't rebuke them for it. Okay? They're a babe in Christ. Let's love them. Let's be kind to them. And eventually, if they grow, they'll grow out of that. And, you know, again, too, hopefully, and I don't think it's wrong for people to always show an appreciation for those people. If you have somebody in your life that helped bring you to salvation, too, 
You know, even if it's somebody too who maybe they took some different turns and, you know, done some things you don't agree with, you know, it's okay for you to still just have a special place in your heart for those people because they help bring you to Christ and to be thankful uh, for those. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we don't, we shouldn't try to turn people away from that and turn them against them. But you know what you should never do? Start forming a faction in this church. You know, and there, and, and that, that's kind of thing is out of line and it's carnal. And it's, it's going to happen with baby Christians, but we need to grow out of it. But often people will visit us and we've had people visit our church even recently and they'll identify us as new IFB or they'll identify us with other preachers. And you know, I don't just rebuke those people when they do that. I don't feel the need to say anything negative about some other preachers because I just understand they're probably babes in Christ. They're, they're probably new to this. You know, hopefully they'll grow out of it. You know, there's a good chance they might have to go through some growing pains and like, oh, wait, you don't do everything exactly like this preacher. And it's going to hurt them a little bit. And they're going to get bent out of shape. And they're going to say something stupid like, well, that's not how they do it in this church. Hey, help, let them grow out of it. Okay? It's, it's okay for new Christians to be a babe in Christ. But we can't stay that way. And when you have a church that's been around for a long time and people continue doing that kind of thing, it's just like, come on, people. Can we grow up? Can we, can we get united here? Unity is very important. Psalm 133, 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Proverbs 6.19 says, A false witness to speak of lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Just sowing discord is an abomination. Unity is pleasant. Discord is an abomination. And so when it comes to unity, it is of utmost importance that we keep unity in its proper place. We should always shoot for unity. We should always go along with unity as long as, and here, get, make sure you get this part, always go along with unity as long as unity does not disrupt higher areas of unity. It's about submitting to the higher powers. So what does that mean? Again, we should never unite with anything that causes us to go against the higher powers. You understand that? We're not going to... There are many things in life that where we can have our own personal opinions, but we can still be willing to go along with whoever the decision maker is. Okay? Ladies, sometimes you're going to disagree with your husband. But you know what you need to do? you need to allow the decision maker to make a decision and you need to be supportive of that. And so, again, as long as everyone stays within their realm of authority, we'll be fine. And it shouldn't be difficult, but it is. If, if we get in the flesh and if we get carnal, and so all, never forget the importance of unity. Always shoot for unity in all things. So let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this chapter. I pray that we uh, can learn from this. Help us to not make the same mistakes. They made in Corinth, help us to uh, learn from them in the good and the bad. And I pray that you'll bless the series as we go through it and help us as a church to remain united. Help us not to be carnal. In your name we pray. Amen.